Hello and welcome to Justice in Motion, the social justice film report. I am your host, Daniel Swan. So, first episode of a new podcast. Who are we? What are we doing here? Um, This podcast is a project of the Social Justice Film Institute, which is based in Washington State. The Institute aims to promote cinema and conversation for the common good by fostering social justice filmmaking through youth education, script development, production assistance for works in progress, competitive challenges, and special events. To continue those goals with this podcast, we're looking to engage people in social justice by discussing it simply and plainly through some hopefully accessible cinematic prisms. And it doesn't get much more accessible than superheroes, the characters from the four-colour funny pages writ large on the silver screen. Superhero films bring in more money than the GDP of a lot of countries, but how do they relate to the concept of social justice? To help me answer this question, I enlisted the help of somebody eminently qualified to talk on such an issue, Janet Harvey. An Austin-based writer, Janet has written comic books for DC Comics, Oni Press, IDW Image, and Tokyo Pop. Her upcoming book, The Curie Society, will be published by MIT Press, yes, that MIT, in 2021, which shows just how clever smart she is. She's also mates with Denny O'Neill, one of the greatest Batman writers of all time, which might not mean a huge amount to those of you unfortunate enough to not be comic book nerds, but to people like me, that makes her royalty, or at the very least, royalty adjacent. I was very lucky to be able to chat with her about all of this, so without further ado, let's hear that conversation. Social justice and superheroes. Wham! Pow! Equality! So Janet, thank you very, very much for taking the time um, to to speak with me, to, to be the, the inaugural guest on Justice in Motion, the Social Justice Film Report. Do you feel honored to be the I first? I do. Thank you. It's a, it's, a, it's a huge honor to be here. Because, <laughs> I mean, statistically speaking, this is probably going to be the one that fewest people listen to. So there's that one. There's oh, good. That. That the pressure's off. <laughs> it's something that I think with this being a, a, a social justice themed podcast i think it's it's easy to define film lots of people like film but i think social justice is something that has myriad uh, different uh, definitions what does social justice mean to you oh wow that's such a big question and it's like um <laughs> you know it's become for like the internet Um, keyboard warriors has become this sort of pejorative of like social justice warrior. But to me, it's like, I don't see anything wrong with being a social justice warrior. I think social justice is, um, is something we should all be striving for. But I mean, I also call myself a feminist because to me, a feminist is just someone who believes in equal rights for, for women, you know, and that's that's a fairly simple definition. Yeah. Um, And social justice to me is, is the same uh, along the same lines, it's justice for all, you know, and I don't think any of us would argue that justice for all is is a bad idea. So, absolutely, um, yeah. I think, so, yeah, like you say, with, with a lot of the stuff that that you kind of read online or see online or hear online, and especially in the the toxic swamp of you know comment sections, right? I think there's a lot of people that, yeah, like you say, do consider social justice to be a kind of a pejorative term even though they themselves would probably agree with a lot of the kind of basic tenets of it well one would hope anyway so. one would hope yes. maybe you've got more faith uh, yeah maybe i've got more faith in humanity than you maybe you're a bit, little bit more realistic i've been on a lot of comment sections i think so. <laughs> um 
So in terms of the superheroes, in terms of uh, hopefully in order to to discuss this topic in a somewhat bite-sized manner, because I think we could talk for hours, um, I ask you to, to line up three uh, superheroes who represent different aspects of social justice for discussion. Now, I in my kind of uh, infantile way and very simplistic way thought, oh yeah, we can talk about, oh, there's uh, Black Panther is about, you know, kind of uh, withholding, you know, it's kind of about maintaining a, a, a smaller society, maybe at the expense of a larger society. And, oh, we can talk about that. But what you've done, which I think is absolutely fantastic, is uh, taken much more of an approach of the real life creation of three different superheroes in the, in the social justice justice aspects of that which i yeah which absolutely thrilled me when you sent through the the superheroes that you're going to pick so i'm really excited really really excited to talk to you about them today um so without further ado uh who is the 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 first uh superhero that you would like to uh to discuss today yeah it's funny i i i I realized that i know a lot about sort of the origins the secret origins of some of these superheroes. So I always want to talk about those. And I forget that other people might not know all of this. But uh, <laughs> but speaking of truth, justice, and the American way, um, Superman was the first one that came to my mind. And it seems like kind of an obvious choice. But, um, but you know, the, the creation story of Superman is really kind of an amazing, amazing story. And it was invented, you know, during World War II by two really young American Jewish kids, uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, they were, they were young. They were like 14 and 15 and they were, you know, had, uh, aspirations to, to do comics and they were into like Slam Bradley and all the sort of forties <laughs> action comics, Green Lantern, I think existed at the time. And, and, um, they were into science fiction. And so they created this um, their first version of Superman was actually a villain and okay. was sort of based on the Nietzsche Superman that was so informed the Third Reich. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. it was a, an evil guy who wanted to create a Superman that took over the world. And the story was called Reign of the Supermen. Okay. But it was, uh, you know, a, a mad scientist creates this Superman from a guy he found in a bread line. <laughs> Oh my God! <laughs> this is the '30s, okay? So he finds a guy in the breadline. He turns him into um, this super mentally powered um, telepath who can make people do whatever he wants. And the guy becomes power mad and uh, becomes an evil, an evil Superman. And I guess then this, the scientist realizes he's made a terrible mistake and turns him back into a normal guy who goes back to the breadline and realizes he's never gonna do anything else so kind of a bleak ending um can't understand why nobody wanted to buy this um but uh that was the the original reign of the superman and then they decided to do something more like slam bradley um and call it superman and have it be a guy with a cape um who can fly who, who could jump buildings he couldn't fly he could jump buildings yes and he had these sort of superpowers from another planet and um they shopped it around and they could not sell it um, to anybody. But then eventually they they did, and when they did, they they sold it for like twenty five bucks or something. I mean, they sold it for some ridiculous amount of money, and it took yeah. off. But um, originally, I think they the, there's a story about how Joe got angry and tried to burn all the pages because he thought it was never going to go anywhere, and and wow. 
Jerry took you know took the top page out of the fire and <laughs> took it took it to DC Comics and they and they took and they bought it. But um, yeah. but the but what was interesting to me was that it came out of this this frustration and this idea of of um, creating a Superman based on the Nietzsche thing and based on a yeah. concept of of justice and you know an American concept of justice that hopefully we're still is still a big part of you know who we are it's a very american hero yeah. and it's a very you know social justice oriented hero he also used to go in and you know he was a lot tougher he was a lot more like like slam bradley like he solved problems with his fists like he'd find a, <laughs> a wife beater you know he'd break down the wall and be like what happens if we you know knock you around for a while like you know, yeah. there's a lot of like street justice happening here and it was like whoa superman like settle down but um, yeah yeah but, and it, you find that kind of there's an argument to be made that he's the first kind of proper superhero as we would know them today yeah. and it, it already has that push and pull between somebody who stands up for for justice but then also somebody who's you know above everybody else and you know is is standing up for justice as he sees what the justice is right so it's yeah. already getting that kind of yeah dichotomy of of that there's yeah you still see in superheroes. I mean it's inherent in the superhero thing of like as they say starting off with Reign of the Superman of this is a guy who's powerful and he goes power mad and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And then their second choice of it, the second version of it was like, well, what if it was like that guy, but he was nice. And right. he, he just, yeah, he was able to, and it's, it, yeah, it's, int I mean, I haven't read a, a huge amount of the really old uh, Superman comics, but I've uh, watched a lot of the uh, Max Fleischer Superman cartoons, which I think were based on a lot. Of, I mean, they were only in the 1940s. And again, a lot of yeah. that is, is, you see Superman, but then you don't the superhero and the supervillain that we're used to now, but there, there wasn't so much of the supervillain. And so it's a lot of it is kind of beating up kind of corrupt mine owners who aren't treating their staff, you know, right. aren't treating their work as well. And so Superman yeah. just comes in and, you know, knocks seven bells out of them. And you think, well, I agree with the spirit of it. <laughs> I think maybe there's a better way to do this. Right? Yeah. This yeah. is actually a, a great segue into uh -oh. my second choice, Here which, we go. which is Wonder Woman. Oh, um, and Wonder Woman was invented by um, William Moulton Marston, who they made a movie about him called yeah. uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman, which is which is worth seeing. It's it's uh, it, it romanticizes him a little bit, but it, it, there was some stuff there that I didn't know. I mean, he he was in a, a polyamorous relationship, and um, he was in a family with two women, and they both uh, contributed to his vision of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he also was a, the inventor of the lie detector. Oh, wow. Uh, which makes the lasso of truth make a lot more yes. sense. Yes. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and he was also a psychologist and a teacher. And um, the way he invented Wonder Woman was he wrote a lot of really angry letters to DC Comics <laughs> about <laughs> how masculinized um, and how violent superheroes were. Oh really? And that he was like, you know, this is this is not really teaching the 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 sort of things that we really want people to learn. We'd like yeah. people to find other methods of conflict resolution <laughs> other than punching people in the face. Yeah. You know, he he would he wanted to be a reformer 
And basically, he he made himself such a nuisance to DC Comics that they finally just called him and said, look, we're going to hire you to create a, a, a superhero. Um, do whatever you want. Create the create the superhero that you want. So what but what he here's one of his letters. He talks about exactly what we're what we're talking about here, which was the and I mean, you've got to kind of take this with a grain of salt. This was written in, you know, the the 40s. So his his buckets of masculine and feminine may not be exactly <laughs> what we would consider them to be today, but um but it's it's his point is is actually very well taken and is very similar to what we were just saying about Superman. He says it seems to me from a psychological angle that the comic's worst offense was their blood-curdling masculinity. A male hero at best lacks the qualities of maternal love and tenderness, which are as essential to a normal child as the breath of life. Suppose your child's ideal becomes a superman who uses his extraordinary power to help the weak. The most important ingredient in the human happiness recipe is still missing, love. It's smart to be strong. It's big to be generous. But it's sissified, according to the exclusively masculine rules, to be tender, loving, affectionate, and alluring. Oh, that's girl stuff, snorts our young comics reader. Who wants to be a girl? And that's the point. Not even girls want to be girls, as long as our feminine archetype lacks force, strength, and power. Not wanting to be girls, they don't want to be tender, submissive, peace-loving, as good women are. Women's strong qualities have been despised because of their weak ones. The obvious remedy is to create a feminine character with all the strength of a Superman, plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. This is what I recommend to the comics publishers. So that was that was what he kept trying to get them to do. And so finally they said, um, yes, we will do it. Um, you're, you're in charge. And he created Wonder Woman. Uh, and the island of Amazons that she came from and all the, the, the backstory of that. Yeah. And one of the really genius things that Marston did from a comic creator point of view was he uh, put a contract into his contract, a stipulation that said if Wonder Woman ever stopped publication, the rights to Wonder Woman would, re- would revert to the Marston estate. Ah, clever. Um, it was very clever and, and, and prescient, especially when you when you consider what happened to Siegel and Schuster, which was they got completely cut out yeah. of all of Superman's money up until the 70s. I think they finally sued them. Um, I think that in the 70s, the uh, Jeanette Kahn and the folks who were in charge then uh, gave them some money, but they never really said that they had part of the part of the uh, intellectual property. I think they thought it would open them up too much. Yeah, um, yeah. To lawsuits. Um, yeah, I think but Jerry were... Spiegel's widow, interestingly enough, yeah, oh, yeah, was was kept that fight up all the way up until like the early 2000s. And, and she, in fact, was the, the model for Lois Lane. Oh, really? Which I always think is a great story, too. Yeah, she, she outlived them and, and she continued the fight for them. Yeah, um, as Lois Lane would. As Lois Lane, yeah. She was a reporter, <laughs> too. Oh, uh, really? Well, one of the reporter, but yeah, a, they're great stories. But That's um, a great story. but anyway, back to to Marston for a second. Um, yeah, I love I love that story. But Marston yeah. also um, that's one reason why Wonder Woman has survived as long as it has because DC has never, no matter how bad the sales were, has never stopped <laughs> publication of Wonder Woman um, for that reason. So. Yeah, I, I mean that that is incredible. The the yeah that letter that you read and considering that that's in. Yeah, that'd be kind of late 30s, early 40s, like it incredibly. It feels very modern, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. 
And like you could still have said that same thing about, I don't know, cartoons in the kind of 80s and 90s when I was growing up. It's like, here's the boys stuff and it's all army and here's the girls stuff and it's all kind of sissified to yeah. use a masternism. Yeah, um, no, it's 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 disheartening a little bit because, you know, the way yeah. he talks about it and he says, uh, my suggestion was met by a storm of mingled protests and guffaws. Didn't I know that girl heroines had been tried in pulps and comics and without exception found failures? And I was like, wow, they're still using that argument like yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. People don't buy girl comics. They don't do it. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Marston seems like a, a, a fascinating, fascinating man. Yeah. Um, and a, a, yeah, such an incredible yeah, reason for, for a superhero to exist. Um, yeah. Him talking about, yeah, a, a, a superhero that would win with love. As opposed right. to, to right. kind of just punching everything. Right. Yeah. Well, it was, it's a great concept. I mean, there was also a very dark side to William Bolton Marston. He was uh, he was super kinky. And <laughs> also <laughs> was like, like really, it, it, like it, he did a whole like um, manifesto on, on the joys of loving submission that you're like, OK, they didn't put that in the movie. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, I, I remember that being. Yeah, I think I read something about that once, and then it had a, a, a kind of a selection of the first, I don't know, 30 Wonder Woman covers, and in about 24 of them, she's tied up. She's and tied up. Like, oh, I see. Oh, I see. There we go. Oh, yeah, okay. Oh, William. Oh, William. <laughs> William, you naughty boy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, we've dealt with the 30s. We've dealt with the forties. We've we've the first uh, flush of the uh, of the the modern comic book era, um, but I think for your being your third choice, uh, we're we're going a little bit more a little bit more modern. Is that right? Yeah, we're jumping way ahead um, to the nineties uh, when Dwayne McDuffie and his uh, co-founders with uh, Milestone Comics uh, decided to start what they called a, a multicultural comic book label called Milestone. Nice. And uh, their best-known character was probably Static Shock, but um, they also had uh, Hardware and Icon and Blood Syndicate and the Shadow Cabinet and then another one called Zombie, which was uh, spelled with an X. Because uh, it was the 90s? Because it was the 90s and everything <laughs> started with an X if it was really cool. But they were they were really interesting characters. They got taken over. They got bought by um, they got bought by DC Comics uh, in the late '90s, mm-hmm. and I think DC always kind of they always sort of shuffled them off and called them "quote unquote" black comics. And okay. you know, Dwayne and the the Milestone folks were very very careful to point out that it wasn't just "quote unquote" black comics. It was it was multicultural comics and the, yeah. the, the idea of it was to create a broader world um, of heroes. Um, it was described in 2000 as the industry's most successful minority owned and operated comic company. McDuffie explained, if you do a black character or a female character or an Asian character, they aren't just that character. They represent that race or that sex and they can't be interesting because everything they do has to represent an entire block of people. You know, Superman isn't all white people, and neither is Lex Luthor. We knew we had to present a range of characters within each ethnic group, which meant that we couldn't do just one book. We had to do a series of books, and we had to present a view of the world that's wider than the world we've seen before. 
really, it feels very ahead of its time because I don't think many people were really even thinking that way um, when creating a line of books yeah. in the 90s. Um, and Dwayne uh, was really a, a brilliant man. He was he was one of these guys who like went to college and University of Chicago when he was 16 and, you know, was just wow. really smart, like one of the smartest people I've ever met. Yeah. And um, he he really was thinking about this at, at that level. And he went on from after Milestone got bought by D.C., he went on to write for um, the Justice League of America cartoons. The oh, okay. Ever, the the good ones. The really good ones, yeah. <laughs> the good ones. And so he so he was doing that and Justice League Unlimited. So he kind of brought that same um, that same sensibility to the JLA and the JLU cartoons. He was the guy who created um, John Stewart, the Black Green Lantern. Oh yeah. And um, who became, I think, the most popular Green Lantern. But yeah, I, I will have people calling me a social justice warrior for saying that. <laughs> but, um, but he was he was a great writer, and uh, unfortunately, he passed away very young. Uh, very a few young. Years back, you know, it's just uh, the stories of these folks who who create the comics. I think are always really really interesting because yeah. usually they they get into it not just for the storytelling, but also for the, the truth, the justice and the American way part, you know, there's yeah. that. So, yeah, um, I think that there's definitely something in the, the DNA. Yeah. 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 The, 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 the comic book fan, at least there's an element of that kind of Siegel and Schuster sense of, of maybe the kids that feel a little bit helpless, the kids that feel a little bit um, yeah. downtrodden and that they're seeing these characters that, are able to, you know, overcome any obstacle and are able to, you know, do things far beyond that of a mortal person. And then it's when those, as I imagine Dwayne McDuffie was, those kids who grew up reading comics, and especially when they think, well, this wasn't, you know, I didn't really see myself in these comics. And then yeah. they then become the creators. It allows for just a much, like, like as he said, just a much wider view of the world. I, I really uh, get on board with what he was saying about the fact that, yeah, the fact that there are so few um, uh, people of color or, or kind of, you know, even female superheroes um, mm. that it's it's uh, what was I once saw referred to as the Smurfette principle of like, well, there's just one. There's just right. one girl in all of the, the groups or there's just one, you know, yeah. black guy. There's one Asian character in there. And then they, as he said, they have to represent the totality of experience for everybody because there's no there's no one else th for people to to look to yeah. i remember there being a big i mean maybe this is a slight diversion but i remember yeah. there being a big um controversy in uh uh with one of the avengers films when uh black widow is re reveals that she uh as part of her black widow training or whatever that they sterilized her that she she uh, couldn't have kids and then she referred to herself as a monster and then everybody kind of kicks off oh my god are you saying women who can't you know have children are monsters it's like well no that it's just she's that character thinks for whatever reason that she that she might be a monster because of of that but that doesn't represent everybody but because black widow is the only female the only one, on the yeah. team of avengers then she has to she has to stand up as that beacon for all womanhood and then even when people kind of avoid that controversy 
I feel like it happens um, uh, uh, frequently and it's often done when it's, you know, uh, uh, female characters uh, are not written by female writers or, or you know, people, uh, characters of color. For most of the history, they haven't been. Like, there's not that many. So. Absolutely. And so either they take kind of, they tell interesting stories and then they get it in the neck because it feels like they're kind of marginalizing or saying, you know, making a comment on the entire race or the entire gender or they don't go tell interesting stories and then that character becomes inherently uninteresting because they're not allowed to have the flaws that a kind of a straight white male character can have because they're not carrying the burden of, you know, representing all straight white males out there. Right. Yeah. And I think I think you you hit the nail on the head, too, with the fans being you know able to see themselves. It's that it's that, you know, people get very emotional about it because they are identifying very strongly with these characters. Absolutely. And so, and you have, and it's why it's interesting for, to me to see women writers like, um, you know, Kelly Sue DeConnick and Gail Simone, who um, are taking these, some of these characters and turning them, you know, bringing a perspective to writing them that really fleshes them out and makes them more human. Like Captain Marvel, which we've now seen has become a big, you know, yeah. Uh, Marvel's big success story of a of a woman hero. Um, that storyline was was based on um, a storyline written by Kelly Sue DeConnick a few years yeah. ago. So, yeah. and that character is is definitely uh, a fully human character. has has her own sort of personality and, and foibles, and um, you know you don't expect her to to be a stand in for all womanhood, and it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's yeah the idea that that a character it, it, the the um the ultimate level that you're kind of going for is that a, a character that is female or a character that is you know Asian or a character that is you know South Asian or whatever that that's not you know a huge part of who they are like right. it, it's not they're oh not, she's a, they're not just the stand-in oh here comes the kung fu character because this is it. Asian yeah <laughs> they're just a character who happens to be. Right. you know asian as opposed to oh they're the that's the asian guy oh he's the he's the asian so he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not yeah carrying any kind of uh necessarily right. carrying any kind of flag yeah um, and I know when i was a kid like you know i was growing up in the 70s there you, you really didn't see that many women you know when when uh, there was a woman on the cover of the comic you were like oh my god thank goodness like yeah my choices were red sonia and like <laughs> spider woman i remember when spider woman came out and i was like <gasps> and i met you know um uh, Denny O'Neill and I was he was like you know I edited this comic in the 70s called Spider Woman and I was like you edited Spider Woman I had issue number one and he's like you're the only person who bought it, <laughs> Nobody else bought it. So I was like it meant a lot to me <laughs> well I mean I have had uh, the most amount of fun uh, talking about this with you and I could I could do so for for many hours hence but uh, maybe not other people wouldn't like to to listen to as much of it as that and that's oh, absolutely sure they would I'm sure they would they would <laughs> just never stopped to... anyone from making a podcast <laughs> so yeah a huge huge thank you to you for for um yeah oh, for, thank you for... I really enjoyed this too this was good. this was a lot good. Of fun I would I love hope... to do it again good I'm I'm sure you will be called upon again <laughs> Um, whilst we all have our, our busy uh, quarantine schedule of uh, Netflix and existential pondering, um, if we can find a little nugget of time in the midst of that to uh, to talk about social justice and films, then uh, then that'll be really good. Um, so yeah, huge, huge thank you. All right, good talking to you, Daniel. And thank you very much to you for listening to this inaugural episode of Justice in Motion. If you were listening to see whether you were picking up what we were putting down, I hope we convinced you. 
ignore the fact that this is ostensibly a film podcast and yet we broke our rules in the very first episode to talk about some superheroes that have never been in a film it was too interesting to not include i didn't have a choice so that is it for this episode of justice in motion watch films be fair to each other and i'll speak to you soon This episode of Justice Emotion was written and edited by Daniel Swan and was a production of the Social Justice Film Institute. Thank you.